always like, oh, you can do whatever you want. Does that mean time-wise, too? I'm just kidding. So I'm very excited to finally be back. I was on vacation. It seemed like forever, so I got engaged over vacation. So I'm very excited. So that's really excited. I'm also very excited that I can come this morning and bring you God's word. Just an exciting day. Uh, I'm going to a Coldplay concert later. Uh, Coldplay is my favorite band ever. So I'm like super excited. Today's like the best day ever. And it starts worshiping together. And so uh, we're going to talk about tsunamis for a second, right? Oh my gosh, tsunamis. There have been 15 tsunamis since 2000. So when the year 2000 started to now, there's been 15. Uh, the earliest tsunami was all the way back in ancient Greece. Uh, we probably all remember the tsunami of 2004. Uh, the deadliest tsunami recorded in history where 230,000 people died. Um, a tsunami occurs for a couple different reasons, but there's a specific quality of a tsunami that I want to like tell you all about. So there's this thing called um, rollbacks. So it's when the shoreline, we can go to the next slide. It's when the shoreline recedes back into the ocean and normally submerged areas are exposed. There's some pictures. This one's kind of the better one. See how it recedes all the way back. Um, these people, they're, I can't tell if they're running from the surge wave or they're excited to see like what's going on out. So you see these pictures of people going and looking at the exposed ground. So it recedes a couple meters back, actually hundreds of meters back. And so people go there, they like to collect stuff, and it usually occurs for three minutes, and then we all know what follows, death and destruction. So there's a rolling back of the water, and then it comes and it crashes down. And I want you to keep this picture in your head. We're not going to talk about tsunamis the whole time, because that would be a very gloomy message. Uh, it's an extreme illustration, but it's a useful one for what we're going to talk about. So this morning we're going to be looking at three or three, two different passages. So we're going to be first looking at Romans 5. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open to Romans 5. It'll be on the screen, but I don't, don't look at the screen because that's easy. Open your Bibles, investigate, find Romans. So we're going to be in Romans 5, and we're going to be reading verses 12 to 21. And we're going to read those first. But also, my Bible has this like little flimsy, I don't know what you want to call this, bookmark. If you have that, or you have some piece of paper, go to Joshua 3, it's the Old Testament, and shove that in there, because we're going to go from Romans 5, Joshua 3, back to Romans 5. So I'm just going to read Romans 5, 12 to 21, straight through, just so we can get it in our heads, and then we'll investigate. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at three P words. I love, I love words that start with the same letter. It makes us remember things, right? We're going to look at a proclamation, we're going to look at a portrait, and then we're going to look at a pattern. So I'm going to read Romans 5, 12 through 21, and then we'll start with a proclamation. This is Paul writing to the church of Rome. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, excuse me, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound 
for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, for sin increased, grace abound all the more, so that all sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteous leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First Paul is going to proclaim something. The first 11 chapters of Romans 1 through 11 are very theological in nature. Paul talks about righteousness. He talks about grace. He talks about faith. He talks about works. And you remember in Rome, Paul is writing to a Gentile audience, non-Jewish. Paul writes these complicated passages, and these passages often contain mind-boggling and mind-blowing implications. Romans is a book that needs to be mined over and over again, continuously read, investigated. The arguments take work to flow, but the implications and life applications you mine from these passages are huge. And the whole Bible is supposed to be like this, right? You read, you study, right? Think about the most theological sound mind you can think of. And think about how on a daily basis he or she continues to study the Bible. Paul is going to start to say something explosively important. And it's highly controversial to a non-Jewish audience. Even to a Jewish audience, it would be controversial. And it's also rather surprising. Paul realized that what he's saying might come off crazy. And he realizes that you might not buy into what he's saying. So he stops short of exhausting his argument he traces himself back and gives you information useful to follow the argument. So we, here we have the verse up on the screen, right? This is what he's saying. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. At the end of verse 12, you see this dash, right? And in grammar, we know... I didn't know. I'm not very good at grammar. It means Paul interrupts himself midstream. Right? We read our novels and stuff. You see dialogue. I walk the dog. Someone interrupts. Right? It's an interruption. Paul is interrupting himself because he realizes what he is saying is explosively important yet explosively hard to follow. So he interrupts himself. And he gives the assertions, the evidence to what he is saying. And for that reason... Verses 13 and 14 should be read in front of verse 12. Right? I know we count 12, 13, 14. But Paul wants to give us the answers. Right? So verses 13 and 14 say, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam who is the type of one to come. And Paul stops at, because all sin. Go to the next slide. I think we 
Oh, nope. Go back. There we go. Yep. All right. So this is what Paul's asserting. All right. So green. Just as sin came into the world through one man, sin entered the world through one man. Okay. Adam. Remember Adam in the garden? Sin. Okay. Death entered the world through sin. All right. We know that. Death came to all men. Okay. Because all sin. Paul stops short right there. He says, because all sinned. The needle skips the record, right? He slams on his brakes. And here's why. Paul's not saying Adam sinned, and when Adam died, sin didn't exist. And then when Adam's kid, he sinned, right? Sin existed. And then when he died, sin didn't exist, right? No, he's saying that when he sinned, One time, all his offspring also sinned. We were all condemned in that one act. And this is such an explosive thing for Paul to say that he slams on his brakes and he goes back and he defends it. Who has seen the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Or has read the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? I love C.S. Lewis. He's my guy. And in the film, and even in the book, the children are constantly referred to something. What are they referred to? Sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, right? They are not physically born of Adam, right? Because they're in like British time, right? 1940s, right? But C.S. Lewis is hinting at this, that they are in Adam. They are the race of Adam. So let's break down verses 13, 14. So we can go back. There we go. There we go. Don't have my clicker. I love my clicker. So, third, so the law was given to Moses, right? Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He comes back down with the Ten Commandments, which means back in Adam's time, there was no law, okay? There was no law, right? Moses occurred years and years after Adam, all right? Make sure we understand that there is no law. Sin isn't taken into account when there is no law. Romans 7, 7 says, Paul saying, what shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if we had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Right? A murderer is defined by someone who broke the law, don't murder. If we didn't have a law that says don't murder and someone killed someone, you're still just some Joe Schmo. Right? Sin highlights, or the law highlights sin. Okay? However, Paul says that death reigned from Adam all the way to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking command. Okay? You break the law, you sin. All right? But how can this be? If there is no law to break between this gap of Adam and Moses, right? Adam, and then he has the sentence, we all, Moses, or Moses, Noah. Joseph, right? Everybody, to get to Moses, why did everyone die? Because they sinned in Adam. Death is the result of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin isn't taken into account when there is no law. There was no law, but they all died. Therefore, they were held accountable for Adam's sin. There's an old Puritan teaching that states... In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Which means we in, 
inherited Adam's very guilt. Church, this is the proclamation that Paul is teaching. What Adam did affected everyone in his race forever. If you are in Adam and you sit here today and you profess to Christ, Christ is in your heart, you are in Adam. And the result is condemnation and death because of Adam's one act. Adam's behavior has life-altering, massive implications for his people. And this is a breathtaking thing for Paul to say. So he stops short and he defends it with verses 13 and 14. It means everyone in this room, everyone you have ever met, everyone who's ever lived or will live, is desperately guilty because of sin. And not just for what we inherited from Adam, but because all the sin crap we put back on the pile. Right? We just keep throwing sin on. In order for Jesus to forgive you and restore you to God, He needs to forgive everything you have ever done, and He needs to atone for Adam's sin that cast the world into darkness. Jesus needs to roll the judgment all the way back to Adam. And that's what he exactly planned to do and has done for you. Imagine this with me. Imagine you are in Christ, hidden in Him, protected by Him, because you cried out for Him for life, and one day you die as an old man or as an old woman. Right? We're all going to die. Picture further that when God forgives you and covers you with grace, he does so line by line, reverse chronologically. The first thing he will forgive will be the last grouchy thing you said to your nurse. He will roll back condemnation your 80s, your 70s, your 60s. He will forgive everything you did through your career, your failures as a husband or as a wife, as a parent, as a student. But he won't stop there. He will even roll the judgment for you all the way back to Adam. And no guilt will remain. If you are in Christ, it will all be forgiven. All the way back to Adam. Isn't this a beautiful picture? A portrait that Paul is painting. So let's look at this portrait more in depth. The Bible is an amazing book. And if there's one thing that you get away with this, is that there's been 15 tsunamis since 2000. Right, we're all going to remember that. And then another thing is that the Bible is an amazing book. Go read it, investigate it. I mean, it's super cool. Yeah. What if I told you that this picture of judgment rolling back to Adam was in the Old Testament? See, church, God loves to drop hints of redemption through the Old Testament, right? Right after the fall, it says, I will bruise the head of the serpent. Who will bruise the head of a serpent? Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? He drops hint constantly in the Old Testament, right? I know some of us think the Old Testament is some book about destruction. It's about a book of just, just death, right? Ah, it's a great book, right? Sometimes we just like to hang out in the New Testament. Jesus talks about the Old Testament in the New Testament, so obviously it's got to be somewhat important, right? So turn to Joshua 3. We're going to go to Joshua 3 now. Um, pretty close to the front of your Bible. So we're like really in the Old Testament. And we're going to read bits and parts of Joshua 3. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's very long. 
and I'm just going to highlight some stuff. But overall, the story of Joshua 3 is a story of the Israelites coming through the desert. And it's time to cross the Jordan River to go into the Holy Land. It's important to see that Joshua takes them across, not Moses, right? Moses got in trouble with God. Eh, Moses can't come into the Promised Land, right? And crossing the Jordan is no joke either. Scripture tells us that it says that it is the river is at flood stage, literally meaning it's filled to the top, right? It's rushing water, Niagara Falls, rushing water. And you have this massive group of people, right? Joshua 4 says 20,000. There's thousands of people, right? They've been wandering a lot of time in the desert, right? That means there should be a lot of people. <laughs> and they cannot cross the river. And so let me paint this picture. So ge- geography in the Bible is also very important, right? Super important. So we can go to the next slide. I think it's, all right, I have arrows. Maybe the arrows will work. Maybe they won't work. All right, so on the top, or excuse me, the promised land, Israel is between bodies of water. So you have the Mediterranean Sea, and then you have three bodies of water. I'm going to go up here. Kind of going like this, all right? So on the top, you have the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, for us in the Bible, it's a source of life. It's a source of fish, livelihood, income. Notice how in the New Testament, anytime Jesus teaches some like massive implications, just notice how many times he teaches is either on a boat on the Sea of Galilee or by the Sea of Galilee, right? Go through the Gospels and just every time it says, and Jesus was on a boat in Galilee, or Jesus was by the Sea of Galilee, underline, right? Then we have the Jordan River. That's the middle arrow. It comes down and it dumps into the Salt Sea, which is the Dead Sea. Now, in Genesis 49, 16, it says that Dan shall judge his people. So Dan means judgment, all right? Jor in Hebrew means spread. So Dan means judgment. Jor means spread. You put them together, you will have Jordan. Which means spreading judgment. Or waters of judgment. Okay? It spreads from life, sea of Galilee. Judgment flows down into what? The Dead Sea. That's the bottom one. Hosea 5.10 highlights this picture of judgment with water. The prince of Judah have become like those who moved the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. And then finally, like I said, the Dead Sea. Right? Place of death. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Its salt concentration is a staggering 33.7%. Eight times saltier than the ocean, which is 3.5%, right? Nothing lives there. We all see the people, pictures of people floating on it. So let's look at Joshua 3. The Israelites have to cross the Jordan, the waters of judgment. The problem is they cannot. They will all drown, right? It's a flood stage. They can't swim across that, right? Because they probably have horses. They have a bunch of stuff, right? The judgment will kill them. So what's going to happen? Look with me, Joshua 3, 11 through 13. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over you before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of man. And when, he souls on the, and when the souls of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, 
and the waters coming down from shall stand in one heap. What is said to be in the Ark of the Covenant? What's in the Ark of the Covenant? Tablets? Banum, right? Which all symbolizes God's presence on earth. Right? Can you go to the next slide. Anytime I think of the Ark of the Covenant, I think of Indiana Jones. Every time they're on that post, it's like, don't look at it, right? It comes out, looks all nice and stuff, and then destruction comes, right? They kind of got a little bit of correct, right? We know stories, people touch the ark, they die. There's a story of when they were carrying it on a cart. Whoever put that on the cart, they died, right? Specific way to carry it. So God's presence is dwelling in that ark. So the plan is for the... You can go to the next slide so we don't... There we go. So we don't get distracted. So the plan is for the leaders to take the ark where God dwells and step into the water. God himself will enter the judgment, and when he does, he opens a way for the people to cross. He steps into the water, and the judgment rolls back so that his people can safely pass through. So let's actually watch this happen. Look at verses 15 and 16. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. There we go. The waters came down from above, stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerothan. And those flowing down the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite of Jericho. Did you guys see what happened? The waters didn't part like the Red Sea, and that's very important. They rolled back miles and miles to a very specific place. Look at verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up at a very far away at Adam. The city is beside Zerothan. There's the portrait of judgment rolling back to a city called Adam. Right? There is no other mention of the city in the Bible but this specific place. And it's specifically mentioned for one reason, I believe. To underscore that God rolls back the judgment all the way to Adam. So you have this Old Testament picture of God stepping into judgment, rolling back the Jordan River all the way to a town of Adam. And then you have Paul coming and saying, guys, listen, God, Jesus, he will roll back forgiveness all the way to Adam. God drops this hint in the Old Testament in Joshua 3. Paul catches it, and he talks about it. Now there's still one more thing that happens. God tells them to trade stones from the riverbed to the promised land. Joshua 4, 8-9 through 9 says, And the people of Israel did as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and lay down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in a place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are still there today. 
Stones that should have been under judgment were picked up, placed in the promised land. Stones in the promised land, holy stones, were picked up and placed in judgment. In verse 18, it says that the waters crushed down over them. The holy one is judged, and the unholy ones are saved. And this is the portrait that Paul, a portrait that the Bible is painting. And this right here, church, this is the gospel. God is the great source of blessing in life, but because who we are, from him comes a river of judgment that leads from death. In order to enter the promised land, we need to cross the river, which will destroy us. The law given to Moses can only bring us to the edge of it, but it cannot take us in. Someone else will have to show up. Does anyone know how to say Joshua in Hebrew? It's called Yeshua. Does anyone know how to say Jesus in Hebrew? Yeshua. It's the same name. The law can't get us in. Yeshua can. Jesus can. He himself stepped in that judgment and rolled it back all the way to Adam on that cross, and now we can go over on dry land. This story and the story of the gospel, in one form or another, should always be on our lips. That the unbelieving might believe and that the believing ones might understand and worship him. And finally, the pattern. Romans 5.14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one to come. Who is the type of the one to come? Christ. In the same way the crossing of the Jordan was anticipating how Christ would rescue us, Adam himself was a pattern. Here's what we learned about Adam this morning. Adam's behavior has life-altering implications. And this is also true about Christ. But for Christ, those implications not only match Adam's pattern, but they are vastly superior to it. Tim Keller, theologian from New York, and uh, you can get on iTunes University, one of his podcasts, he talks about that Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus is the better Moses. That we have these typologies of Jesus in the, in the Old Testament, right? King David, right? We need a king. Who's our king? Jesus. David was a king, but he was a human and flawed king, right? It just highlights how much more we need a savior king. I want to finish reading Romans 15, 21, and it's not up on the screen for a reason. I want you to read with me, and I'm gonna, I want you to see how Paul writes that Adam did this. But Christ did this so much more. So Romans 5, 15 through 21. And, oh, no. I almost read Joshua again. But the free gift is not like the trespass. What's the trespass? Adam's sin. For if many die through one man's trespass, Adam, what's Christ? Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the results of that one man's sin. For the judgment following, following one trespass brought condemnation, Adam. But, right, ask my students 
Or just anybody? Anytime there's a but in the Bible, it's a big but. Right? It's important. It is important. But the free gift following many trespass brought justification. Right? Christ. For because one man's trespass, death reigned through one man. Adam, what is Christ? Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam, so one act, what's the act? Christ dying on the cross. One act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam, Christ, here we go. So by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, you see that Jesus matches this pattern, but he overpowering way, right? Much more abounded for many, right? Many. Jesus not over. Jesus not only covers Adam's sin, but every sin we have added to it. And he doesn't just make us even, but he showers us with his grace his riches of mercy, and his very self. And Paul says this over and over again in this section. Jesus matches the pattern of one man who affects all his people, but he does so in a raging abundance of grace for you. One day, in a short time or long, you will cross the waters of judgment. And when you do, the waters will either be at flood stage, where you will be destroyed forever, or there will be rolled back to Adam. There is no middle ground. If you are in Christ, your passage will be safe. He fully took the wrath of God when he stepped in the water for you. Pass the judgment on to him. Do not do it on your own. Right? I don't, it doesn't matter how good a swimmer you are. It doesn't matter if you have a boat. Doesn't matter if you have a kayak or anything across the waters. You cannot do it by yourself. It is at flood stage. And if you sit here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you're like, ah, oh, man, I can't cross myself. What am I going to do? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I encourage you to come up here, pray, accept Christ, ask God to step in the waters of judgment for you and roll back. And if you sit here this morning saying, the water is starting to rise, and I can wade water for a little bit, but sooner or later, it's going to wash away. Come up here, pray. Pastor Neil will be standing up here. I encourage you, make a decision. Today, call for Him for mercy and worship, worship Him as your refuge. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for Scripture that paints us this picture of redemption in an Old Testament passage that's just chucked, tucked in there. We thank you that from you created us 
Why did you create us? To show us mercy so we could worship you. What is one way we can worship you? By allowing you to step in the water. God, I pray is that there's someone out here who doesn't know you. That they boldly come forward and want to know you. Lord, I pray that there's someone out here that the water is starting to rise. They think they can do it on their own. They realize that they need a Savior. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Jesus Christ, amen.